Lord, and we just want to give you praise for being a, an awesome God, a, a God who does come and rescue us in our, our deepest need. And Lord, I, I pray that as we look at your word today, Father, that, that you would show us your truth, that you would kind of help us see who you are and um, draw us close to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. I'm, uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Adrian, uh, one of the teaching pastors at Alpine. And, and like Pastor Mike said, that we're on our second week in our, our series that we started at the beginning of the year on the Trinity. And, uh, you know, when we look at the, the Trinity, all right, I'll figure it out. The Trinity there's one God who exists eternally in three persons. You know, more than, than just an idea, a, a truth about who God is. And, you know, last week we were talking about how, how really this feels like a mystery. You know, that, that this, is an, uh, this is something that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. And throughout history, people have tried to figure it out, right? Throughout history, people have tried to come up with analogies and, and, and different things to help us understand what the Trinity is. But, you know, they all fall short in, in some way or another. And so, to some extent, we have to, do, we have to kind of accept the idea that there's nothing that exists like God. And so it's going to be a little difficult for us to understand what exactly this Trinity is. But each of these weeks, these five weeks in the series, we're going to touch on kind of certain aspects of the Trinity in order to do our best to see what the Bible says about it and how we can understand it. And today we're going to be talking about the, the one God, right? Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but are all one God, not three gods, but one God. And to do that, we're going to look at how the Trinity starts with this concept deeply rooted in Jewish scriptures that there is only one God. Now, you know, when uh, the nation of Israel had traveled, kind of had finished their, their 40 years of wandering in the desert, they came up to the Jordan River. And they were on the banks of this river getting ready to cross over into the promised land, this, this land that, that God had promised them. And Moses wasn't going to be able to go into this promised land, right? God had told Moses that, that he's not going, he, he can see it, but he's not going to get to be into it. And so Moses has is, is, is got the people gathered, or rather, gathered together, the nation of Israel, and he's reminding them of the things that God has done for them. Right? He's reminding them how, how God has brought them out of Egypt, reminding them how, how God revealed himself to them at, at Mount Sinai in and, and fire and smoke. He's reminding them that, that they are in a covenant relationship with God. And, and there's certain ways that they're supposed to live their life. Right? He's reminding them about what would be known as the Mosaic Law, how God wants them to live their life in this relationship with him. And then right before, um, right before he, he, tells them, he tells them that they should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But right before he told them this, 
This is what he tells them about who God has revealed himself to be. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You see, Moses not only wanted Israel to to love God with everything they had, right? Love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and everything they had, but he wanted them also to understand who God was, that he was the one and only God. I mean, because think about it. I mean, when Israel was in Egypt, it was a land, a country that worshiped many gods. The, the people that they were surrounded by for the 40 years as they wandered through the desert and the, the people that they were going to be surrounded by as they entered this promised land that God was giving them all worshipped multiple gods. And so Moses wanted to make sure that they understood that they worshipped the one true God. You know, it's interesting that later on in the New Testament, Jesus actually quotes this verse, right? There was, a, there was a, a scribe that had actually came to Jesus, and he asked him, he said, he said, teacher, what is the most important commandment? And this was Jesus' response to him. Jesus replied, the most important, important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You know, after uh, the scribe heard uh, Jesus' response, his answer to his question, and, and bear in mind what, who a scribe is. A scribe really is, is, is a religious leader, right? They're the ones that were uh, interpreting uh, Jewish scripture and, and teaching people what the Jewish scripture meant, Right? And after hearing what Jesus' response, this is what the scribe says. He says, the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. You see, unlike the nations that surrounded Israel, unlike many of the nations in the world at that time, Israel was different because they believed in one God, the existence of one God. And we also find this same truth, the existence of only one God, actually as a foundational truth in the early Christian church. Here's a, a letter uh, that Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is what Paul is saying about the one God, one God that exists. He says, there may, there may be so-called gods, but both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. Now, now what Paul isn't doing, he isn't acknowledging that, there's, that there actually exists multiple gods. What he's acknowledging is that there's people who believe that there are multiple gods, and those people that believe that there are multiple gods do actually try to worship. They actually worship those gods. That's what Paul's saying. But he goes on and he says this. But for us, but for us, there is one God, 
the Father by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. You see, the early church believed that there was only one God who created all things, that there existed only one God. And, and they believed this uh, even though they wrestled with the identity of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, the, the church was founded on the teachings of Jesus Christ, who when he was here on earth, he proclaimed to be God. He said that he was God. He performed miraculous signs and, and miracles that proved that he was God. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He did all these things that proved that he was God. So while the early church was wrestling like, like we do, trying to wrestle with the identity of God, right? The same way we're wrestling with the whole idea of the Trinity, the early church never wavered on the truth that there existed only one God. We find this in 1 Timothy as well. It says, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. So in the same way that we were trying to, we try to wrap our minds around how there is one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The early church was wrestling with this same truth as well, but yet they never wavered on the fact that there was only one, one God. You see, I believe that when we look at this passage is, is that the, the early church believed in that one God. And they believed in that Old Testament promise that God was going to reconcile humankind to himself. You see that in the Old Testament, God promised that because the relationship of mankind had been destroyed through sin, he promised that he was going to fix that problem. He didn't say that he was going to send somebody else to come fix the problem. He promised that he was going to fix the problem and restore the relationship with humankind. And they saw Jesus Christ as God restoring that relationship. And so we can see that not only in Jewish teachings, but also in the early church, one God is rooted in both of those. One God, the idea of one God rooted in the early Christian church. But there's been other views, right? There's been other ideas over, over time, over history that have come up. And as we kind of look at uh, each week, as we kind of look at these different aspects of the Trinity, we're going to briefly talk about kind of one of those ideas or, or different thoughts that have come up. But here's the thing. These ideas actually oppose the, what the Bible says about the identity of God. This week, we're going to be looking at tritheism. And this is what tritheism is. is a heresy that misses the oneness of God, teaching that there are three distinct gods who work closely together. So this isn't the idea of multiple gods, right? Uh, like a, a pantheon of, of gods. This is an idea that says that there exists three gods, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit 
are all independent gods of themselves. They are not one God. They are all three gods, but they are one in purpose, meaning there are three gods that are working together to accomplish one goal, let's say. Now, obviously, um, obviously, um, this idea, I think, when you look at Christian history, the, ch- the history of the church, this idea never really took root in the church. Uh, and I, I think that one of the reasons that it, it probably didn't is because the Bible speaks, when you read the Bible, it, it speaks so clearly both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that there exists only one God. But there is a, an expression of, of this view that, that we probably are all a little familiar with because it's, it's really predominant kind of in this area. And it's the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually has this kind of, this kind of view um, about God within their doctrine. And, and I don't mention that to, to necessarily criticize them. Uh, but I mention it because it's probably something that I think that we are all most familiar with, and it's probably the most, uh, the most prominent um, example of that view today. But here's the problem. This, this idea of three separate gods, right, that are just united in, in a common purpose doesn't line up with how God has, has um, what God says about himself in the Bible. It just doesn't line up. Look what God says about himself in Isaiah 44, verses 6 and verses 8. This is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last. There is no other God. You, and in verse 8, you are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No. There is no other rock, not one. God goes on to say this in in, uh, chapter 46 uh, in Isaiah, verse 9. He says, "Remember, remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. You see, God says nothing about the existence of other gods. And as a matter of fact, he goes far beyond that, and he actually says that there is no other God like me. I am the only God. See, tritheism, the idea that that there are three gods working towards one purpose, is not supported by Scripture. It's not supported by scripture. The last point that I want to work on today is this. The existence of only one God helps us make sense of humanity, morality, and eternity. So humanity, right? The, I believe that the, 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 the teaching, the truth that only one God exists helps us understand how we relate to one another, helps us understand how, how, how we should view one another, how should we should act towards one another. I mean, when you think about in the, the ancient days when, when, um, when nations had different gods, right, 
And it, I mean, think about this. Think about like the, the, pantheon, the pantheon, you know, all like the Greek gods. Anytime you see those depicted, what is it, what is it depicted like? It's depicted like gods that are at war with one another, right? Gods that are competing with one another as to who's the strongest, who has the most prowess, right? And, and think of how that, that filters down to the people that are believing in those different gods and the kind of conflict that this causes within humankind. The idea that our God is stronger than your God, and so we have the right to overthrow you or overtake you or, or be brutal to you, right? These are the kind of things that have happened throughout human history where the belief of multiple gods being one being stronger the, than the other and these gods fighting for power amongst themselves has kind of uh, uh, been an excuse for us to treat each other differently, for us to treat each other harshly, for us to believe that some of us, because of the God we follow or the nation that we belong to, that we're better than others, right? You know, sadly, even in the, the midst of, of this, I, I think that we've even seen this with some people who profess to be Christians, that they've used their idea that, there's, that, that they believe in God, that they're following a God, that that made them better than other people. But here's what we find, I think, when we look at but that if there's one God who created all humankind in his image, I believe we have to believe that all people are equal in value and importance. Look what it says in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, we weren't created by accident, right? Thrown into a world of many gods. And if by chance we choose a God that's more powerful than another God, then all of a sudden we, we develop some importance in our life, right? We weren't created... Uh, you know, by one God to, to serve a number of other gods. And if we choose to serve the right God, all of a sudden we, we become important. We were created by one true God, equal in value and importance. Look what it says in Acts 17. It says, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. You see, it wasn't the superiority of a God or superiority of a nation that determined when a nation would rule and where a nation would rule. It was God, the one true God who determined what nations would rule and when. You see, I believe that the understanding or the, the, the understanding of this truth that there is only one God helps us understand how we relate to one another, right? We were all created in the image of God, equal in value, equal in importance. One God also helps us make sense of morality, so if there's one God who created all things, right, 
one God who created all the rules that, that bind those things together, then there's one source of truth, one source of moral truth, right? This means that, that we're, we're all going to be judged according to one, one standard, one standard of truth. Look what it says in Psalms. It says, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. The one God will judge based on his character, based on his truth. It means we're going to all be judged by the same standard. You know, it's not some... Uh, one standard for this group of people over here because they follow a, a certain God. And, and this God over here has a different standard for what's right and wrong. You know, this labyrinth of, of, of ideas of, of what truth is and what is not truth and whether it's relative or whether it's not. When we come to the understanding that there's only one God that exists, we come to the understanding that there's one truth. One truth that we'll be judged by. The last one is I believe that the belief of one God helps us make sense of eternity. See, if there's only one God who created us, right? There's one God that establishes truth um, establishes the truth that we're going to be judged by. That means that there's only one God who can save us. This means that there's only one way to be saved. Look what Isaiah says. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me Believe in me and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been. There never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. There is no other Savior. You see, sometimes people talk about this idea that there's many roads to God. But if we believe that there's one God, there can only be one road. And that's the road that that God, our God, has established. You know, when, I mean, the world tries to tell us that there's many ways to get to this God, that there's many ways to find fulfillment in life. But if there's one God... One God who created us, one God who established what truth is, there's only one way for us to find fulfillment and one way for us to be saved, and that's through that God. You see, when the relationship between God and man was broken, sin, the one true God 
decided he didn't want to leave us to wallow in that sin. He decided that he was going to rescue us, that he was going to bear his own wrath for our sin, that he was going to pay the price so that we could be in relationship with him. And so he was born as a man, 100% man and 100% God, Jesus Christ, to bear his own wrath and punishment for our sins. So by putting our faith in him, we could have a relationship with God so that our foot could be set on that pathway, that relationship with him, that pathway to eternal life, to fulfillment in life, in a relationship with him. You see, one God makes sense and helps us understand, I believe helps us understand the world that we live in. Now, in the following weeks, we're going to be talking about the different aspects of the Trinity, and so I want to encourage you to, to stay, kind of stay plugged in and um, just continue on this, this journey with us. Again, some of this stuff is difficult. It is a mystery because there's nothing like it that exists. God is the only one. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we exalt you for who you are. Lord, we give you praise for being a mighty and an awesome God. And Lord, even though we at times struggle to, to grasp who you are, Father, I pray that you would give us the strength to trust you. And Lord, when we question, Father, I pray that you would lead us to your word and show us who you have revealed yourself to be. Lord, we give you praise and we exalt you. In the name of Jesus, amen.